Aspect Radio. I'm Corey Kraft. And I'm Ben Flanagan. Welcome to another episode about a month later or so since our last endeavor. And we're a little late to this party discussing it anyway, but I think Corey and I saw this film during its first weekend out in theaters nationwide. It's Neil Blomkamp's latest sci-fi film, Chappie, which reunites Blomkamp with his collaborator, frequent collaborator, Charlto Copley, the South African actor you saw, of course, in District 9, and also out of his gourd in Blomkamp's sophomore effort, Elysium. He should have gotten back in the gourd. This time, Blomkamp, he returns to what many consider extremely familiar territory, often comparing it to District 9 and sort of revisiting elements that we've seen in the two films leading up to his third effort as writer and director. So with Chappie, we have this very simple story of a not-so-distant future where in Johannesburg, South Africa, the police are now using robots and they are doing a good job of it and crime seems to be down the robots chief engineer their creator who is played by dev patel he has it in mind that he wants to invent a new kind of robot where he has a program that he can give to them that can give them artificial intelligence they can think and feel with the new programming and he gets shut down over and over by evil corporate lady sigourney weaver queen of sci-fi who's just here perhaps just for that reason. Yeah, just no real reason. <laughs> and instead, he does it on his own. He, he goes rogue, and he gives this robot artificial intelligence. He has his prototype. But at the same time, there are these South African inner-city gangsters who have it in mind that they can commit their crimes much more easily if they had one of these police robots to help them do so. So they hatch a plan to kidnap one of them, the very one that Dev Patel is giving this artificial intelligence chip to. So they do that, and at the same time, kidnap Dev Patel to sort of help them raise this young robot. And at the same time, they don't realize that this robot that they're kidnapping is not the badass police enforcer that they think it will be. Instead, they're starting from scratch with this young being, and it turns out they have to raise it like a child. And in many ways, Chappie, again, played by Shalto Copley in both motion capture and voice, is a child and has all of the characteristics of a young human being or even a young animal at times. Mm-hmm. And we see this movie explore all sorts of different elements of parenting. 
and nature versus nurture, all at the same time serving as what I consider a badass science fiction action movie with these set pieces that are as thrilling and exciting as the ones we saw in Blomkamp's first two films, District 9 and Elysium, two films which I really like a lot. And everybody, it seems, latched on to Blomkamp and bought stock in him when District 9 came out, a film that surprised people at the box office, surprised people with an Oscar nomination for Best Picture. It became an instant favorite of people, whether they were sci-fi fans or just movie fans in general. It's beloved. But Elysium comes out, and people called it a sophomore slump. Most people did. A lot of people didn't really dig it. Me, on the other hand, I thought it was better than District 9. And that is an unpopular opinion, I guess, or one that is in the minority. But here we are again with Chappie, and the marketing suggests to me that we're getting more of the same from Neil Blomkamp. A lot of people consider that negative. I consider that great because I like what I've seen of Blomkamp so far. So for me, Corey, Neil Blomkamp has gotten better and better with each movie that he's made. And I think that he's made his best movie yet with Chappie. Again, I find myself in this minority. I don't think you have landed on one side of the fence or the other. So where do you stand right now on the divisive topic that is Chappie? Well, I think it's a good bit better than Elysium because I'm, I would say, with the majority of folks pretty down on that movie. I think that's as clear a sophomore slump as, as you can you can look for. But I am a big fan of District 9, and Chappie, I'm lukewarm on Chappie. I fall somewhere in the middle. I do not think that it is worthy of outright derision, because I think much like, and this is something I think I've said to you already, much like with the Wachowskis' Jupiter Ascending, another sci-fi underperformer from earlier this year, I think it's trying to wrestle with and try too many interesting ideas to completely write it off. It is not, much like Jupiter Ascending, 100% successful in engaging with many of these ideas, in my opinion, but I cannot help but have a respect for filmmakers who want to go there and who have somehow managed to get the studio system to back them, especially considering the budgets of both of these movies. I mean, I suspect Chappie has a much lower budget than Jupiter Ascending, given Blomkamp's ability to do amazing things with special effects on the cheap. It's probably the most expensive experimental film I've seen in a long time. That being said, there are things about this movie that I really responded to, and things about this movie that just didn't work one bit for me so I guess I'm kind of lukewarm on it ultimately and find it kind of frustrating and interesting and enjoyable all sometimes within the span of the same scene contradicting itself uh, I mean I, I think that as amazing of a digital creation as Chappie is the central character uh, like you said motion captured by Charlotte Copley and how good Copley is at playing this character, whether or not one responds to the character, whether or not one is annoyed by the character. You can hardly dispute that Copley really brings Chappie to life. I found pretty much all of the human performances flat, and I found the sort of machinations of the plot, particularly as we head into a third act, where Blomkamp bites off way more than he can chew, sci-fi speaking, the plot did not really 
work for me after a point, and and there was very little to latch onto other than ideas that became, for me, increasingly sort of half-baked. I haven't seen Jupiter Ascending, so I can't compare anything to it. I can't really say much about that. I'm with you, especially on your point that the derision on this film and the, the vitriol that people have for it is ludicrous. And I don't get it either, especially it's, it's fans weird. of sci-fi. It's it doesn't weird. make any sense. And strangely, Neil Blomkamp, this guy who burst onto the scene with his debut with District 9, a movie that people hailed as an instant sci-fi classic, has suddenly become sort of a punchline and a target within this subculture of science fiction fans who hated Elysium because, I think on principle, it wasn't District 9 again, even though there are plenty of people out there who would argue that he throws a lot of the same tricks into that movie that he did with District 9, but they just don't like it. But I do. I think that that movie, where it does have a few shortcomings, I think especially from a plot standpoint, and some of the performances in that are fairly flat. I don't know what Jodie Foster is doing in that movie. No, nobody does. But... The action is unbelievable. It's beautiful to look at. And it has another Charlotte Copley performance that's just insane and really fun to watch. That movie, to me, is just a big ball of fun. It's got one of the worst screenplays committed to film in I dis- years I, I years. totally disagree with but, that. But, okay, that's fine. That. Okay, with Chappie, I think he completely elevates himself as a director and tells an incredibly tender story about a lovable central character who has more life than anybody in the film, and you can attribute that, in your opinion, I guess, to flat human performances, but has more life than anybody in the character, and he happens to be a robot. Mm -hmm. And so much of the credit obviously goes to Charlotte Copley, who I think at this point we can call an amazing performer, to say the least. He's he's a, I don't know if you would consider him a great actor. No, I would not. I'm a big fan of his, so I think that he and Blomkamp are a great team, but... Blomkamp deserves a ton of credit here for, yes, doing a lot with a little when it comes to his budget versus what he gets out of the special effects that he uses. Because, I mean, there's probably, what, an effect shot in nearly every single shot of this film? Every shot with a robot, and there are very few shots without robots. Exactly. But I totally bought into not only rooting for the Chappie character, who becomes an instant underdog once he is thrown into an impossible situation. And not to get too far into the spoilers, but this movie has an incredible sense of urgency due to the fact that Chappie, who is sort of this police robot who has gotten into so much trouble and been busted up seemingly every time he goes into the field to fight crime, he's become this sort of hunk of junk that they toss you know, to the scrapyard. Sure. And Def Patel has stolen this robot and turned him into this robot that can think and feel. So from the get-go, we see that Chappie doesn't have long to live. And so a lot has to be accomplished within the allotted running time, and a lot has to be done for Chappie to, I guess, get as much out of his short life as possible and develop as quickly as he can as the first thinking and learning robot. And I think they go to several really interesting places, but more importantly, again, they they explore this theme of parenting and what it means to raise a child and how you raise it in the environment that you raise and what kind of people out there in the world are raising children today and how that can affect their futures. And yeah. I think it does it really well. I felt it. I wrote a review of this movie on uh, artsbham.com 
And one of the things that I find interesting, you know, I've seen a lot of criticism about this movie saying, oh, if Neil Blomkamp remade RoboCop, he would side with Omnicorp. He's in favor of this robot police force. He's in favor of taking the human beings out of the equation completely. I look at this and see Chappie as being a film that not only says, yes, take the human beings out of the equation completely, but also furthermore says, because human beings are fundamentally bad and you can't trust them. Every human character in this movie, though I, I find the performances not very good, even the supposed altruistic inventor of Chappie, the Dev Patel character, does things in their own self-interest without regard for consequence. The metaphor is sort of driven home when Chappie confronts Dev Patel sort of angrily, you know, I, I'm sort of treading lightly here, sort of confronts him about his mortality, right. which kind of feels like a bridge too far, but I, you know, we're going to go with the metaphor, fine, okay. Chappie's essentially living an entire lifespan in a week. Right. Um, and he's angry with his creator sure. for giving him a short life. So if human beings are going to inherently act in their own self-interest, as we see with the South African gangsters here played by Dion Ward, essentially playing fictionalized versions of themselves, I guess. Yeah, we'll get to it. And Hugh Jackman as, um, quite honestly, a thinly sketched Oh, villain. he is awesome in this movie. Well, he is so fun. All right. I agree to disagree because oh. I didn't think he was effective at all. And then also... Dev Patel's good-hearted but ultimately kind of bumbling inventor who creates a consciousness without really paying any regard to that consciousness's potential feelings. You know, he creates life and throws this life into a contradictory, terrifying world filled with human beings who are contradictory and terrifying themselves. So thematically, I think there's a lot to dig in there. Mm -hmm. I really like those ideas. It's the execution that doesn't work. What because, about the execution doesn't work, though? Because l nearly all of these human performers, we've already talked about Jackman. I just don't think that character comes across as whatever it is that Blomkamp wanted to do with him. He's a villain. I mean, he's, yeah, like you said, I mean, he's thinly designed, and he might adhere to sort of these villain archetypes that don't go a long way, but he's fun while he's doing Well, that. there are only so many contradictions and inconsistencies I can look past. I just think it's, I funny, look that, past. I, I just think it's funny that big, giant, muscular jock right. Hugh Jackman pitted against you know, frail, nerdy Dev Patel Which, is an interesting dynamic. You know, me. brings me to Dev Patel, yeah. who I think is a performer of very limited range mm -hmm. and once again displays that here. You know, he's fine in Slumdog Millionaire, but after that, he's just been playing variations on that character, mm -hmm. like in these Best Exotic Marigold Hotel movies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not a fan of the newsroom. No. Okay. No. Oh, God, no. <laughs> okay. And then what I'm sure is going to be the most divisive element of this movie, the performances of D'Antwoord. Okay, D'Antwoord. Chappie, if you want to be in the gang, you have to be cool like Daddy. Look how Daddy walked. Look how cool he is. You need to keep a gangster. You need to keep a gangster. Yeah. You to be cool. Don't laugh. I'm being cool. Oh, cool. Even when you put a gun, you have to be cool like this. Boom. And you try. No, I can't shoot people. What? I can't shoot them. They didn't do anything to me. How are you going to do the heist with us if you don't shoot people? I can't do a heist. Heist is a crime. I promised. Yeah, it's okay. Hey, let's worry about that later, okay? I got this, right? You. 
If somebody really disrespects you, you can deal with them without using a gun. What is it, Teddy? Real gangsters use this. So I guess we should get into it. Yeah, we definitely should. Because they are the heart of this movie outside of Chappie, which knocked me for a loop, and I'm sure most other people who had never heard of Deontworth, this South African subversive rap rave duo who are virtually unknown to Americans unless you saw some of their, I guess, viral videos pop unless up. Unless you live in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Yeah. So they just appear out of nowhere and are essentially the stars of this film. They set the plot into motion and are these gangsters who kidnap Chappie and try to force him to commit these crimes. And they're up against a deadline themselves in that they have to commit a heist that gets them enough money to pay off this sort of gang lord character who's another just sort of stereotypical Another, another Blomkamp stock character, yeah, honestly. Yeah, he's just, and he's, he's kind of lame. I think it's kind of funny how he speaks in subtitles when you, you can understand most of You can of understand him more than yeah. you can understand a lot of the other characters. Yeah, especially the, the Deontward characters. Yeah. These are two people. It's a man and a woman. One guy, these rappers, one guy, Ninja, is his actual stage name yeah. and his name in the film. And Yolandi, also her name in the film and also her name in real life, supposedly. So they play these characters who become surrogate parents to the Chappie robot Mm -hmm. once he takes on his new life and develops as a child. I completely disagree with you that none of the human characters are all that interesting or there's not much depth to them. I think especially the Yolandi character takes on a whole ton because she's this gangster character who seems, it seems like there's not much to her on the surface and all she's after is money and being a gangster and living this lifestyle and sort of worshiping her protege ninja in the process and their lair would suggest the same exact thing, much Mm. of which reflects this Zeph style that D'Antward projects. But she, as soon as she sees Chappie and this new life sort of spark within it and him walk and talk for the first time, completely changes at an instant. Perhaps the same way that a woman would as soon as her baby is born. Mm -hmm. And from that moment on, every one of her scenes is about doing the right thing in front of Chappie and raising him the right way and giving him the right chance for a good life and one that does not pursue, I guess, the path of crime and a gangster. For her, the gangster lifestyle becomes a bit of a turnoff and she starts to wander down a different path and one that she wants to take her new child, Chappie, down with her. And to me, that is really heartfelt and it is explored really nicely thanks to very concise direction and a really nice performance from Yolandi Visser along with Shralto Copley and I enjoyed that and I think that it takes him much longer but Ninja who I think is really funny in this movie and really good he starts to slowly do the same exact thing especially once we hit the climax of this movie when these two have essentially undergone full transformations and start to do things for other people instead of themselves. And I think they learn that through parenting and what you have to do as you learn on the job. And to me, that is the real heart of this movie and what makes it so much fun to watch. And all the while, as they're making this transformation and as you get these sequences of just hardcore 
cool action that we know Neil Blomkamp for, and I think it's really fun. I mean, Deontward is essentially playing like the South African gangster rap versions of Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain in The Tree of Life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, you, you know, I see, I, I see where you're coming from, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but... Um, Nature versus grace. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, Ninja, the sort of hardened, you got to yeah. act a certain way to make it on these streets. That's right, only and, the strong uh, survive. Yolandi sort of stepping in is, is this more nurturing. Yeah, uh, reading him bedtime stories and letting him play with dolls. Sure. The problem is that what everything you said I see in the film. Yeah. But Deontward proved themselves to be unfortunately less than capable performers. No, no, es- they're the especially, best part. Especially no. Ninja. I think, oh. you know, he he gets better near the end yeah. when his character is finally tested. Yeah. But until then, I found him nearly insufferable. Oh, insufferable. You're crazy. It was, it was very difficult for me to tolerate those two performances because I, I just, they just felt... Overly rehearsed, mm-hmm. especially Yolandi, who again I want to be charitable and and I want to give. You don't her have the to be charitable. You don't have to be charitable. They're it's, good. It's all in the screenplay. They're just good. What you said is all in the screenplay, but they don't. I mean, for me, this is a major flaw in this movie: the fact that they never once seem comfortable. They certainly seem realistic because I guess they're just playing fictionalized versions of themselves, given that they're wearing Deontward merchandise yes. the entire time. <laughs> Throughout the film, they're wearing Deontward t-shirts. Which is kind of funny. It's great. But they're just not screen presences that, for me, paid off. I gotta give some props to Neil Blomkamp for taking a calculated oh, risk there. It's a risk. But for me, it seems like it paid off for you. Big time. It didn't pay off at all for me. Look, Corey. Those aren't just funny voices. Those are their real accents. I, so I'm aware. We don't have to go down that road, okay? They they just, you know, it, it just feels so stilted and awkward. Oh, I thought they fit right in totally in this universe that Blomkamp has created. I think they could fit into any of the films that he's made so well, we far. See, I mean, Blomkamp got a pretty effective lead performance out of Charlotte Copley in District 9. Yeah. Less so in Elysium because I don't see what you guys Oh, he's are bonkers in the best that. way. Not in a particularly good way. You're crazy. For me. <laughs> and and subsequently, I don't think that Charlotte Copley has proven himself to be again a particularly effective actor in his non Blomkamp work. What has uh, there been would there have been like three other performances? And maybe? he has been notably very weak in all of them. Well Weak movies, right? I mean, I, the I kinda, A-Team, I, I wouldn't like judge A-team. a career based on the A-Team and the limited screen time he got in that. But Blomkamp believes in him and yeah. keeps giving him big roles in his movies. And I think Blomkamp has gotten better as a director as he has gone on. And I, the culmination to me is Chappie, which I agree with You know, some friends of mine who have seen this, including my brother and Matt Scalici, who are friends of this show and contributors and wh- whom you might hear from later on. This is one of the better science fiction films in the past several years. No. For sure. Oh, it's, I can't, yes, I can't go there. I can't go there. Particularly after a third act that results in Chappie, who has sort of graduated beyond sort of... The human ability to reason and think. He's he's working. Which on an they said plane. he was going to do. Yes. From which they said he was going to do. 
But then he sits down and solves a problem that has confounded human scientists and philosophers throughout existence uh-huh. in basically an afternoon yeah. using a stack of PlayStation 4s. Yeah. Um, How they get those PlayStations is great. But, you know, you see this happen and you think, "Uh uh-oh. And then they go there. And they go into a completely insane place that, for me, is... What movies are all about? Biting off more than this particular movie can chew way too late. I don't know, man. There are a couple of scenes towards the end of the movie where, talk about transformations, characters take on entirely new forms. I I didn't like a bit of that. Oh my gosh, I thought it was completely awesome. And I would follow these characters, and I would follow Neil Blomkamp, and unfortunately this won't happen, but I would follow them into whatever movies they did after this, too. There are more stories to tell with these characters. Chappie, though, I mean, the character Chappie is so cool. The design is great, and it resembles to me the prawns of District 9, and, and, and there are obviously references in this movie to other science fiction movies, like you said, Robocop, Robocop's a big one with you Jackman's sort of behemoth the moose, of a, yeah, which of looks a big exoskeleton. Yeah, which looks droid just, uh, it looks thing. just like Ed Two Hundred Nine. Yeah, pretty right. Much. Yeah, and, it is and Ed Two Hundred Nine. Blomkamp has come out and said, "Look, yes, I love RoboCop. Ed Two Hundred Nine is my favorite movie robot ever, and all I'm trying to do here is pay homage to that." So I like the fact that he's being so transparent about the references that he makes about the films that he he wants to pay tribute to. I think that's great, but at the same time, I think he has made a wholly original piece of science fiction filmmaking, and it's incredibly exciting too. And you mentioned the the last third; it has one of the coolest action set pieces that I can recall over the past couple of years, especially from a science fiction action film. Once Hugh Jackman, this jot who's an engineer unto himself and has created this robot that has been rejected by the same corporation that has opted to use Dev Patel scouts instead of his, once he finally gets the go-ahead and and we see the moose in action, I love where it goes from there. Thanks to his performance and also thanks to the design of that Robot and Chappie and just the action in general. You see some really cool stuff on screen. And we also get that sort of gory Neil Blomkamp, right. too, that we haven't seen up to that point, which is fun. I thought that that was kind of an anticlimax. Honestly, I, I agree with you that the action is largely well done, but I think the best action set piece is the first time you see the the droid scouts in action. They're, they're raid on this random drug lord's mm-hmm. compound near the beginning of the film. I yep. thought that was good fun. And where it goes from there is kind of more of the same. And, I mean, part of the joke, again, without getting into too many spoilers, is that nobody wants Hugh Jackman's moose. And when you see it in action, I think there's an intentional anticlimax to that. But, you know, it just well, yeah, kind of the, falls flat. Well, throughout the film, he's told no over and over and over right. and, and has been told no before this movie has even started. And you start to think, well, why? Why has he been told no when this big badass robot killing machine is sitting there ready to fight crime? And once we finally see it in action at the 11th hour, we kind of see why he's been told no right. over and over. Right. And it's just great. And to see him walking around with a, a, a rugby ball throughout this entire movie was another fun element of the performance but again to me the best part of this movie Corey, is i mean you start to think about parenting and and your parents and how Mm -hmm. you'd be as a parent even if you're not one and you you know i I think a lot of people before they have kids and and if they're thinking of having kids they look around and think or or they think generally like i could never do that it's a monumental thing i can't process it but then you start to look around and you see certain kinds of people 
who have kids. You know, morons. Well, yeah, more, more. <laughs> they have lots of kids, and you think they have kids. I guess I could do it too, right? And D'Antward, the character's ninja and Yolandi, might fall into that category too. And I love the fact that Blomkamp, who has come out and said this, the original conceit of this film, the concept was what would happen if these rappers, D'Antward, raised a robot? How would it turn out? Where would it go? Again, the whole idea of nature versus nurture. How is it going to turn out for this kid when it grows up? Is it going to grow up to be a good person or is it going to wander down a bad path? And it's simple, but I think it pulls it off in a really unique and funny and just really tender way, especially when you see these characters, these would-be gangsters, who I think are phonies really from the get-go and are kind of poser gangsters and are in it just because they think that's what they need to do and want to do. But as the film goes along, they sort of find their new roles. They're not the best people in the world, but I think they undergo enough of a transformation that suggests that having a child, being a parent can change you for the better, and it will. For me, I think the best part of this movie hands down, is Hans Zimmer's score. Oh, he's incredible. Well, shocker. Yeah. Right? I, but he's been on a different level Yeah, in the last few years. Yeah. And this is just, again, mostly electronic, mostly synthesizer-driven, but super, super badass. Well, and also, I mean, you get the big, booming Hans Zimmer that we've, we're used to and that we've heard, but again, in some of these quieter scenes, ones where Chappie is having to sort of learn on his own, when, when he stumbles upon a television playing He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, when he's playing with a doll that looks just like Yolandi, who has become his mother, when he is sort of growing by the minute and evolving into a, a, I don't want to say full-blooded because he's a robot, but a person of sorts, Mm -hmm. that's when I think Zimmer's at his best in this movie. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I guess ultimately I can't share your enthusiasm about Chappie. Yeah. But I would say... Don't let the overwhelming negativity oh, it's stupid. put you off of see if it, yeah. if it sounds like something you might be interested in, even if you don't like it, even if you come down on sort of a lukewarm yeah. side like I did, it's worth seeing. Yes. It's worth checking out. Yes. There's enough in it that is interesting to you know, for me to recommend it, even, you know, as it may be a marginal recommendation. Because yeah. I you know, I I really don't understand the negativity. And again, at the very least, I can pretty much safely say that it's worlds beyond Elysium. Oh, come on. Elysium is really good. Yeah, Elysium's a piece of garbage. Give me a break. So, and, and real quick, I'll say, at this point, I have become a fan of Word. I started seeking out their music on YouTube after I saw the film and, and realized that not only are they in this movie, but they use several Word songs on the soundtrack and as the movie plays, which I I think as some people have called it, people who are naysayers about it, but I'll agree with them. It's the weirdest bit of product placement maybe in movie history that I've certainly ever seen. It's bizarre and it is a calculated risk. In my opinion, it pays off, but I will acknowledge how weird it is. But coincidentally, Deontward has gone on tour since this movie came out and they came to Birmingham, Alabama about two weeks after Chappie was released. I was there. I went. <laughs> I had to go. It was at Iron City to see Ninja and Yolandi, who I just saw in this movie that I love so much. And I went and I sat through their entire concert in Birmingham and I had a blast. I mean, it was those characters on stage. 
Believe me. No, I, I believe you. Yeah. You... I, I, I bet I know exactly <laughs> what it was like. Yeah, it was like Chappie the Concert. So, look, I highly recommend this. It's a movie that has been panned for no good reason. I, I've gone on and watched YouTube video reviews, and it's people spewing the same nonsensical venom, all seemingly buying into this agenda of rage against Neil Blomkamp that I think is totally unfounded. And the excitement that people once had for Neil Blomkamp possibly taking over the Alien franchise has quickly disappeared, and now plenty of people are worried that Neil Blomkamp is taking over, which I think is strange. And speaking of Alien and Neil Blomkamp, the one thing that really bothered me with this movie was I do think they kind of wasted Sigourney Weaver, which several movies have done over the past few years. I mean, I thought Avatar wasted Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, and again, she is this icon of science fiction filmmaking and deservedly so but look if you're going to bring Sigourney Weaver into the fold because she fits that bill then let her do something other than spout these lines that move the story forward I guess otherwise just cast somebody else because you've got Sigourney Weaver do something with her I am still marginally interested in Neil Blomkamp in alien territory but the thing that worries me is his stated intention to sort of pull the Superman Returns of the Alien franchise and ignore 3 and and Alien Resurrection, which I don't think anybody can truthfully claim or defend as being great movies. I like Alien 3. I like Alien 3 a fair amount. Alien Resurrection stinks. Sure. Nobody's going to dispute that. (laughs) But this concept of just skipping those and going back to you know, the good ones that everybody likes. I mean, I get it, but it feels like I just kind of have a weird hesitation about blatantly fan servicing with and and just pretending that that the sort of wacky continuity that the Alien series has previously constructed doesn't exist. I mean, obviously, that's massively splitting nerd hairs here Mm -hmm. (laughs) because most of your most people in the general public are going to be like you mean i don't have to sit through those terrible ones well hell that sounds great to me i liked michael bean bring him back for me that i'm just kind of like all right we have to yeah can't just you know just start your film with sigourney weaver waking up and being like it was i had a weird dream (laughs) It's a bit of a revisionist history. And I don't know how I feel about that. You think that's dangerous territory to be wandering down? Does it set a weird precedent moving forward I for mean, other franchises? Nothing sacred as it is. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? I mean, if you're going to if you're going to keep making alien movies and if you're going to keep revisiting these franchises, just do something interesting. If it turns out to be good, let it be good and if just enjoy it. If it turns out it. to be Prometheus, people will still defend it. So right. why not? Well, not many people defend Prometheus. But, awful lot. Yeah. More than you would think. Yeah. And that's weird to me. Well, not us. And I hate that we have let this devolve into Prometheus discussion. But. Came out the same year as Elysium. It was a one-two punch of me being crushed by big-budget science fiction. Well, at least we can say Elysium was better than Prometheus, right? I don't know. Well, then let's just call this. Yeah, we probably should yeah, move call on. call this quits. Okay, well, Chappie has left Tuscaloosa and is rapidly leaving theaters throughout the country. This is me, the guy who liked it. I say if it's at a theater near you and you haven't seen it and you're on the fence about it, go see Chappie. And I think Corey agrees, see it, why not? But I would say that if you're at a theater that's showing Chappie and is also showing Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella, 
go see Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella. Well, before we move on to our preview of the summer and the films to come this year, let's spend a quick minute on Cinderella. I have not seen it, but I've heard pretty much nothing but good things from the people who have gone to see it. People who are big psychotic Disney fans and people who just went with very little expectations. Everybody seems to like Kenneth Branagh's take on this fairy tale. I'm obviously not a Disney psychotic. I went into Cinderella, like you said, with fairly low expectations. But what I found was a remarkably sweet, well-crafted, at times gorgeous and faithful retelling of a classic story that I think what makes it work for me is the fact that Kenneth Branagh recreates this, brings it to the big screen with no irony. There's no sort of postmodern nudging like you get from something like Maleficent or Into the Woods, both of which were movies that I found underwhelming. So because it's brought to the big screen so faithfully, it's the story everybody knows. There are some wrinkles thrown in there. Cinderella, for example, as played by Lily James here, an actress I'm not familiar with, but I'm told uh, who's on Downton Abbey, is given agency. She's given uh, an internal strength, and, and her passivity feels like a calculated choice rather than you know her just being a complete pushover. Prince Charming, played by Richard Madden of Game of Thrones, is indeed quite charming, but is also given you know actual human characteristics to make that an actual character. And there's even some shading given to the wicked stepmother here, played by Kate Blanchett, who, as you would expect, is quite a treat in that role. It's just a real pleasure to watch. It's visually really, really fantastic. Reminds me of of the attention to detail that Brana paid to his, in my opinion, really terrific adaptation of Hamlet from 1996. The visual splendor of that is almost matched by the visual splendor in Cinderella, which has just some really terrific set design, costume work. And the performances are all great. It's the classic story you know and love retold faithfully. So, I mean, it's a real, it's a real winner. You know what? Cinderella not go to the ball. What? Not go? What did you say? You'll see. They fix her. Work, work, work. She'll never get her dress done. <laughs> Poor Cinderella. look ahead to the summer we're not too far away it seems like hollywood likes to kick it off earlier and earlier as we move along here i mean we're essentially kicking it off next weekend right yeah i guess so i mean last year it felt like it started with captain america the winter soldier which was late april i believe this i think it was first weekend of april yeah okay so this will be first week of april it'll be furious seven the seventh entry in the fast and the furious franchise which bizarrely seems like it gets better as it goes along yeah in theory, anyway. I mean, you could argue that the first movie is better than the sixth movie, maybe, and that the fifth movie is the best overall. But it seems like they just ratchet it up with each film. The stunts mm-hmm. get bigger. It gets crazier. It, it gets more off the wall. And it gets more self-aware as it goes along, too. But all at the same time, it becomes more fun. 
who doesn't look forward to these Fast and Furious movies now? I think they're a blast. They're and, great. Um, you remember Owen Shaw? The one we tore half of London down trying to get. Well, this is his big bad brother. British Special Forces assassin. The kind of unique asset that no government would ever admit to employing. How do I find him? The official answer is, you don't. You killed Han. Almost killed my family. He also tried to put me in a body bag, too. Which is why when I get out, I'm gonna put a hurt on him so bad he's gonna wish his mama had kept her legs closed. But until then, my official answer to you is stand down. Now you know I can't do that. I do know you, Dom, which is why now I give you the brother-to-brother -brother answer. You do whatever it is you gotta do. When you find that son bitch, just do me one favor. What's that? Don't miss. This one's actually already screened at South by Southwest, and while the producer was on hand to ask the audience to preserve certain secrets, such as the ultimate fate of, of the late Paul Walker's character, word has been very positive. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. It's very positive, especially from its star and producer, Vin Diesel, <laughs> who posits this film will win Best Picture and a bunch of other Oscars. That is, if the Academy wants to be relevant in the industry today. It would probably be a better winner than Birdman. I don't want to presume that Fast and Furious, or I'm sorry, Furious 7 is going to win Best Picture. I'm not ready to make that call yet. A lot of months to go. Yeah. A lot of films to see. But I'm pretty jacked about it. It looks fun. The new additions are Jason Statham and Kurt Russell. So they keep making all these fun casting choices and just putting these characters in all sorts of crazy sequences and and it's really again to go back to this phrase of what the movies are all about if you want to go have dumb fun at a movie this is just a no-brainer so to speak i want to see vin diesel drive a car from one skyscraper into a neighboring skyscraper damn it i'll see that and i'll raise you skydiving cars yes and having phone conversations while you're in a skydiving car. Because what else is going to be on your mind right. at that point other right. than the conversation you're having? And everything's going to go like it's supposed to. Of course it is. Sure. So sounds like we're both there. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And that, I guess, officially kicks off the summer, although it's an early one. I, I think that the, the film people are really looking at as the thing that really kicks things off this year on May 1st comes The Avengers Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I'm there, too. It's the second Avengers movie. Yeah. Who's not there? It's one of the highest-grossing movies of all time, the film that came before this one, and Marvel continues its just unspeakably hot streak of these superhero movies that are just not only just bona fide box office monsters, but are also mostly good. I would say that they are mostly... They're only, like... One or two that I would say are not good. Do you think that the Avengers, as of today, is the best Marvel movie no, so far? No, And I didn't at the time. Okay. I, I would put the two Captain Americas ahead of the Avengers. Okay. The Avengers, yeah. I'm a big fan of those Captain America movies. Yeah, and you know, I, there are people out there who would consider Avengers movies sort of pseudo-Captain America movies anyway. And then we've got a Captain America movie coming out next year that appears to be a pseudo-Avengers movie. So, hope you like Captain America. I do. Good. 
So Joss Whedon is is making this Ultron movie and is apparently leaving Marvel once this thing comes out. And it looks like, according to these trailers we keep getting, A, we're getting more of the same, which is a good thing, and B, it looks like he's leaving on a good note. So I'll be interested to see where Marvel goes now that I, I guess the sort of creative force of the franchise is walking away. But this looks like a ton of fun. I mean, there are new characters. I mean, it looks like they're essentially rinsing and repeating. It looks like we're getting a lot of what we got in the first Avengers movie. But we all had such a blast with that that it, it can't be a bad thing. Now, big question I have is when this movie comes out, Marvel is doing this crazy thing with some theater chains where they're, are, they're holding a Marvel Cinematic Universe marathon in a theater where you can watch more than 27 hours of every single Marvel movie that has been made over the past several years, have you seriously considered doing this? I considered it for probably longer than anyone rational would, <laughs> but ultimately came down on the side of there's no way. Yeah. There's, nah. That's, you know, I'd sit through an Avengers double feature. Yeah. I'd sit through Captain America 2, Avengers, Avengers 2. Or yeah. So, you know, three movies is pushing it, particularly because these Marvel movies are kind of long. Yeah. But all of them. Yeah. No, that's not happening. And also, it, it seems like it sets up, not, it doesn't necessarily set Age of Ultron up to fail, but why would you want to put yourself in a position where, there's no way you could possibly enjoy it. No, there's no after way. After enduring 27 hours of these Marvel movies, which are all really fun. Sure. But your body and mind just shouldn't go through that before you see a movie you've been hotly anticipating for a long time. Human beings are not designed to withstand things like that. You want to be fresh for this hotly anticipated less than zero reunion with Robert Downey Jr. and James Spader once again. <laughs> Sharing the big screen. How are they not advertising it that way? I don't understand. I don't understand it either. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Okay, so we're in for the Avengers movie. The next week, May 8th, you've got a couple of films, some counter-programming anyway. You've got this buddy cop comedy with Reese Witherspoon and Sofia Vergara, Hot Pursuit. And then you've got, if it comes here, I don't know how wide it's going to go, but a film that recently unveiled its trailer, Maggie, which stars Arnold Schwarzenegger as this sort of somber Midwestern dad who has to fight to protect his zombie daughter, played by Abigail Breslin. Schwarzenegger film getting an art house platform release. Yeah, and it it definitely looks like a departure for old Arnold. I haven't seen the trailer yet. Yeah, it looks interesting, for sure. It looks like a bit of a downer, but the least you can say is Arnold's trying something new. It's not the physical B-movie, rock and sock'em action movie that he's tried to recreate, you know, I guess in the twilight of his career. No, I will say, I, I, I thought The Last Stand was a good example of that. Yeah, the best one so far. It's the far. best one so far. But this is not surely. that. This is this is actually Arnold trying to maybe act for the first time in a while. And, you know, <clears throat> back, back when he was in, you know, back during his heyday, obviously, with Terminator 2 and Predator and... Total Recall and all these movies. I actually thought Arnold was a good actor. I thought that he had a, a I thought he had a unique charisma 
among action stars, let's say. He has a range. Yeah. And when he's in that range, he's an effective performer. He does what he does. I mean, he, I but guess... You, you get him anywhere out of that. I mean, even <laughs> slightly out of it. And we're looking at disaster. Well, I see the Maggie trailer, and I think, what would the Simpsons do with the McBain character right. if he was in a, a, zom- a somber zombie drama? I bet you we'll find out. Yeah, I hope so, anyway. They, if you still watch the Simpsons. The next week, one of, I, th- I think, our most anticipated movies of the year, Mad Max Fury Road. Hell yes. Opens may 15th and if you've seen this trailer then you know that it looks all sorts of bug nuts ape crazy which is a good thing we know someone who has seen this yeah it is highly recommended by that person by that person who signed an nda (laughs) so we can't say who well and he's not going to listen to this (laughs) so well that's comforting to know (laughs) uh lucky him I, i think it looks fantastic even though nicholas holt is in it I don't know. It just it looks wild to me, and oh and, man, yeah. I mean, it looks beautiful, and yeah, whatever whatever they want to throw up there. On I'm screen. so excited. That same weekend, Pitch Perfect Two comes I'm out. I'm actually into that. Yeah, too. it seems like a lot of people are. That movie has gained a lot of popularity. Our, our producer Andrew here is just holding thumbs, the thumbs up. up. Yeah, it's one gone. of the few films made in the last three years he's seen. Uh, so Liz- that's good. Elizabeth Banks making her directorial debut with it, which is interesting. Yeah. The next week. You have a big original science fiction adventure from a guy that we love, Brad Bird, in Tomorrowland, a movie starring George Clooney. Is it weird that I'm worried about this? A lot of people seem to be lately, especially after that full trailer came out. Which, you know, I get that they're keeping things close to the vest, but what is this movie? It's a Brad Bird movie, and that and should be enough. That's for now. enough to get me in the yeah. door. But yeah, I'm, well, not, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I'm. I'm nervous. People probably yeah had the same attitude in calling John Carter an Andrew Stanton movie. Right. I don't know that this is gonna wander down that path or fall down that well, path. Well, but we'll see. I, I yeah. you know I trust Brad Bird. I, I until I further notice. I do too. Yeah. That same weekend, Poltergeist, this remake with. Who is it? is it? Sam Rockwell. Okay, Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell, Jared Harris, uh, Rosemary DeWitt. Yeah, it, good cast. Yeah, fine. But okay, yeah, make, that's uh, you know sure. my, my point about this for the past several months since I've known that about this movie's existence is take all those talented people and make a Poltergeist movie, but don't make Poltergeist. You know what I mean? You make a haunted house movie, make a Poltergeist sequel. Well, that's one. Well, yeah, not play, even a play sequel. The same. I'm just saying, make a horror movie. Yeah, write the same movie. If it sounds like Poltergeist, make some changes and just make it a different movie altogether. The make little your, girl gets caught in, in an, an iPhone. I don't know. Make your Poltergeist movie. Don't make the another Poltergeist. I, I don't know. It just it bugs the hell out it, of me. It bugs me, too, especially since the trailer for this film seems to indicate it's going to pretty closely follow the beats of the original. And, you know, what use do you have for that? None. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the greatest horror movies ever made. I, I don't disagree. Too bad. Mm-hmm. So the next week, you've got San Andreas, where the rock body slams an earthquake in California. Can't wait for that. I, then, I can wait. And then you've got, on May 29th also, the new film from Cameron Crowe, Aloha, which yeah. looks less like Jerry Maguire and almost famous and more like Elizabeth Town and We Bought a Zoo. I mean, it seems like it is following essentially the same plot setup as Elizabeth Town. Yeah. I'm worried. Yeah. Again, well, appealing cast. I don't know if I'm as worried as I am indifferent to it in his career at this no, point. No, at this I mean, point. I, I have great admiration and appreciation for Cameron Crowe. I mean, he's made 
incredible movies. But he seems pretty satisfied with just, I don't want to use phoning it in necessarily, but by his standard, I think that's what he's doing. And he has done for the past several films. I think that Cameron Crowe has made exactly one great movie. What, Say Anything? No. Almost Famous? Yes. I think Say Anything and Jerry Maguire are his best movies. I don't I don't care much for Jerry Maguire. Oh, you're crazy. It's great. So much fun. And Almost Famous, I, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a little overrated. I think you're a little overrated. That's fine. Are you going to go see Entourage on June 5th? I would rather uh, impale myself on a fence. I don't understand that. It looks perfectly fun. It looks like a fun time at the movies. What with all the bright lights and cameos and bro jokes and all that good stuff. Ronda Rousey? Come on. The listener cannot hear it, but I am fashioning a crude noose <laughs> out of the microphone. Why? Cord. I don't understand that. Explain that. Because it's the freaking Entourage movie. Do you I mean, not like the show Entourage? No. Did you watch the show Entourage? Yes. You watched... Not the entirety of it, because yeah. I wanted to die no i don't know i you know look i think the biggest fault of that show is its lead actor who is pretty vanilla and that's being kind but i thought that it was a fun exploration of hollywood and it created at least one of the best tv characters in the last several years in ari gold in an incredible performance during the entire series from jeremy piven so above all else or if nothing else, I look forward to seeing Jeremy Piven play that part again. Because he is legitimately great. Maybe all that Emmy love will translate to Oscar. Oh, wow. That's nicely done, Corey. Another horror sequel continuation of a franchise on June 5th, Insidious Chapter 3. Lee Wanell directs and stars this time. And he wrote it, I think. I don't care for the Insidious movies. Really? No. The first one's good. The second one, you can take or leave. This seems like one trip to the well too many. Yeah, the first minute of its first trailer was compelling, but then it sort of devolved into typical horror trope. But, you know, I'll see it. Yeah, I know you will. Yeah. You know, you got movie pass. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Spy, that same weekend, from Paul Feig and Melissa McCarthy once again, their third movie in a row together. And, you know, you're no fan of The Heat. No. uh, And I like The Heat. He didn't make Uh, Identity Thief, right? He didn't, Okay, thankfully. He could have. You know what? The trailer for Spy looks pretty funny to me. Okay. Yeah, you tell me about it, okay? After you see it. You know, Jude Law and Jason Statham being silly. All right. Okay, so other than The Avengers, arguably the biggest movie for summer 2015 comes out on June 12th, Jurassic World. Yeah. The fourth Jurassic Park movie. Evacuate the island. She's a highly intelligent animal. She will kill anything that moves. Oh, God. Has this seemed weirdly quiet? I mean, I guess, like, things haven't really ramped up promotion-wise for it, but, you know, apart from... I guess that trailer really is it. But well, I mean, once when that came out, it got a big pop. But it, it's it was, like the it, pop died down really quick. Well, then that's because all the Avengers stuff started yeah. coming out, so, and people latched onto that. So, I mean, yeah, I guess compared to that, compared to Avengers, it's not really on the radar, right? To a lot of people, I, yeah. But I mean, I, I feel like I've seen a lot more about Mad Max yeah. than this, and that's 
you know, Mad Max. Well, it's, it doesn't have. I mean, Mad Max is not an unknown franchise, but Jurassic Park was once. I mean, not too long ago, the absolute biggest thing in the pop culture landscape. Well, more than twenty years ago. Yeah, not much more. Well, and and it's not like Jurassic Park has completely faded from from view. I no, mean, that but... that original film still very well liked, and there were two increasingly not good sequels that followed. But well, the Jurassic Park re-release, I think, inspired more excitement than the two sequels, even though... Yeah, that's I, true. I, I did it, not care it did for, with me. Yeah, I did not care for The Lost World, and I still don't. Yeah, no, it's not good. I thought the direction they went with Jurassic Park 3 was much more fun than The Lost World. It should have been. I thought it was. I thought it was fine. It was not executed well. Well, this one looks like it's going to stay on that path of more silly, fun adventure than what, obviously, Spielberg did with the first film while paying as much respect to that mm-hmm. as I possible. Mean, you know, Chris Pratt in the lead, you kind of expect silly adventure, I think. Yeah, especially when he says stuff like, it depends on what kind of dinosaur they cooked up in that lab. Or so, when he's riding a motorcycle with his raptor buddies. Yeah, that tells me that they're not taking themselves too seriously, and to me, that's a good sign. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm in for this. It's the first Jurassic Park movie since 2001, and this is a pretty big deal for any, anybody who was a kid in the 1990s. and That means literal kid or kid at heart. So, uh, you know, I'm there. I'm just, you know, it's kind of weird to me that what should be one of the biggest movies of the summer has remained so far out of the fray, at least compared to the other big movies of the summer. Yeah, well, what could be one of the biggest movies of the summer and one that is, is my most anticipated, Inside Out, on June 19th. This, of course, a new original film from Pixar and writer-director Pete Docter. His first movie since Up, and uh, if that's not enough to get you in the theater, I don't know what well, would be. The trailers should be because they look. Great. How great is yeah. that trailer? It's gonna kill. Oh it's, man, it's gonna be great. I, I have full faith in this, and I'm there. I hadn't see. I didn't see that trailer until I saw it in front of Cinderella on well, the big screen, and it just. It yeah, just did completely... it flush away all of your Pixar hate that you spewed on this show not too long ago? Because let's maybe, not forget about that. Maybe a little. Maybe a little. Okay. Maybe a little. I know you're all pumped for the Transporter reboot. Uh, Refuel. Pass. That's coming out that same weekend. Next. Maybe I'll just see Inside Out twice. The next weekend, Ted 2 from, obviously, Seth MacFarlane. The first one, the most successful R-rated comedy of all time. Yeah, Ted. until A Million Ways to Die in the West, right? Right. I don't have any bad feelings about Ted, but A Million Ways to Die in the West, which you inexplicably like, <laughs> really did away with my goodwill towards Seth MacFarlane on the big screen. I'll see this, but I'm not expecting much. I like when Doogie Hauser pooped in his hat inexplicable so the next weekend tell me be honest with me which movie are you more excited for okay magic mike xxl uh-huh or terminator genocide being completely honest yeah magic mike XXL. i'm with you i'm totally with you because this terminator movie looks like a dumpster fire a little i'm holding out hope that they're going to come out with some 11th hour really amazing marketing that's going to make it not look like uh, a fan film but uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean this looks almost as bad as part 3 and that movie stunk okay i think that part 3 is better than terminator salvation 
But Terminator Salvation actually has a visual style to yeah. it. Like, it is interesting to look at. Right. And nothing about Terminator Genesis looks anything other than bargain basement cheap as hell. I love Amelia Clark. She's great on Game of Thrones. We're obviously big Game of Thrones fans. I want her to do well. I like that she's getting we a got, role like this. We got some Jason Clark in this movie. Love Jason we got Clark. J.K. Simmons, recent uh, Oscar winner. Lo- love him. Uh, Arnold. Jai Courtney might be wallpaper, but... God, what is that guy's thing? Yeah. I mean, he is... Okay, he's in this Divergent movie, this new Divergent movie, Insurgent. Uh-huh. And the whole time I'm watching this movie, which is not good, by the way, I keep thinking, what does this guy have on right. Hollywood? Yeah. I fully expect him to play Indiana Jones, right. Han Solo. He's going to be a Marvel superhero. He'll make all of these things until we quit Hollywood. I mean, the, the good thing is, like, it looked for a while like Sam Worthington was going to be that, and then he vanished. Yeah. Hey, look, good for him. Great, but do something. Wow me. And he I has guess. not. He has not. He's just as I'd bland take, as bland can be. Wow me, but I, I'd take Blink first. You know, yeah. before we get to the wowing, be be some be some manner of expressive. Yeah. Anyway, Magic Mike XXL, though not a Soderbergh film, is at least shot by Soderbergh. Hey man, I'm I'll, a, I'm I'll take what I can get. Why not? July 10th, there are a couple of movies, a film that parents like Andrew are going to take all their kids to see Minions, the animated spinoff from Despicable Me. That was just a matter of time before that happened. Sure. And yeah. then you have this movie, Selfless, which is not Limitless or Lucy, but kind of. It's only, a new Tarsum movie. Yeah, only this time with Ryan Reynolds. It's a new Tarsum movie. Okay, so the next week, Marvel fans, Ant-Man comes out. And strangely, this movie comes out in a relatively short period of time from now, yet all we have seen so far is this one teaser trailer. Well, obviously they're going to attach the full trailer to the Avengers, and obviously once, once the Avengers has... Which uh, is a more than a month away. Sure. Once the Avengers has sort of done its thing, they're going to ramp up the Ant-Man promotion. Now, do I expect Ant-Man to be a breakout hit at this point? No, but I don't think anybody expected Guardians of the Galaxy to be either, and you know, this movie has Paul Rudd. Yeah. So people know Paul Rudd. Yeah, for sure. And if Marvel does their thing, and at this point, despite the troubled production history of Ant-Man, there's no reason to think they don't know what they're doing, this could surprise people, even in a summer that is filled with superheroics already. That same weekend, we get the new film from Judd Apatow, Trainwreck, which is written by and stars comedian Amy Schumer. I like Amy Schumer. Me too. The word on this out of South by Southwest is extremely positive. Look, strangely, Judd Apatow's movies, for me, have actually aged pretty well. And I think the The good ones have. Well, I I think that they're all good, strangely. And the more that I see them in bits and pieces on cable, the more I like them. I think these movies work better in that format than they do in one setting, which is really strange. This is 40 does not work. It does for me, weirdly. The only thing that doesn't work about that movie, I mean, it's definitely flawed, but any scene with Melissa McCarthy is terrible in that movie. What do you have against her? I like her a lot. I just don't think she's been used well at all since Bridesmaids. Yeah, so Trainwreck, I'm there for sure. After that, the next weekend, Pan, this new uh, sort of take on Peter Pan, I guess we needed. Joe Wright. Yeah, you like Joe Wright. I love Joe Wright. Anna Karenina was a misstep for me, but uh-huh. everything else he's done, I'm totally on board with. And then this, I mean, I, I'm sure it'll look good. I don't, I don't know what to think about this. I, you know, 
I once had a hope that Joe Wright was going to be our new Anthony Minghella, since Anthony Minghella was taken from us way too soon. Yeah. But uh, he's apparently pursuing all of these odd uh, projects. I mean, you know, I love Hannah. Which was an odd project. Hannah is weird. So it can work out. That take on Anna Karenina is weird. Yeah. And and now this sort of attaching himself to the fairy tale revisionist train. Well, everybody's got to eat, I guess. Yeah. So that same weekend, the new Adam Sandler comedy, Pixels. I'll pass. You will? Okay. The next weekend, what has quickly become one of the most anticipated movies of the summer, thanks to its recently released trailer, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. And how badass is that trailer? Oh, man. Oh, man. Comes out July 31st. Ethan, where are you? The syndicate is real. A rogue nation trained to do what we do. An anti-IMF. You want to bring down the syndicate? It's impossible. Desperate times. Desperate measures. Get your seatbelt on. You have to be down now! Oh my god! We see this Mission Impossible team now that we're used to coming off of uh, an incredibly exciting, just incredibly well-executed action film in Ghost Protocol, the fourth in the series directed by our, our buddy Brad Bird. One of my favorite movies of that year. It was great. Yeah. T- tons of fun, but it looks like, again, kind of like with the Fast and the Furious franchise, they just kind of ramp it up now with each subsequent movie, and I'm all about it. This is one of the most consistently exciting and just watchable action franchises in recent memory and i wonder even though it's got mega budgets and one of the biggest movie stars of all time in them is the mission impossible franchise underrated Mm, no no i don't hear many people talk about ghost protocol well okay that is that is true and that that film is is by far the best of that franchise. Uh, it's it's up there for sure. It's, I still love the first one, and I got a lot of love for the second one. Where a lot of I was going to ask if you were a weird defender of the second. I one am because that that movie doesn't really work for me. <laughs> uh, and I think the third one, you know, despite J.J. Abrams hitching his wagon to it, is kind of flat. Mm-hmm. But Ghost Protocol really kicks things up a notch, and it looks like Christopher McQuarrie, who's directing this, continues along that fashion. I mean, some of the some of the action stuff in this movie looks above and beyond. Yeah, insane. Yeah, for sure. So that same weekend, this boxing movie starring Jake Gyllenhaal from Antoine Fuqua, Southpaw, comes out. Have you seen the photo of Gyllenhaal in this? No. He is shredded. Yeah. He looks like he looks like a slightly less methed out version of Matthew Fox and Alex Cross. No, oh, a weird. That's a comment that's going to play to like two people who <laughs> listen to this, but I stand by it. Yes. Okay. So now we have something to look forward to. August seventh, Fantastic Four. Do you think this looks like an improvement on the first go at the franchise? I don't think it looks like anything at all because what have we seen from this movie? We have a trailer. We've got something. Well, okay. Are you excited about it? Not really. Yeah. Do you like Fantastic Four? Like the comic the yeah. characters? Yeah. Yeah. They're Marvel's first family, man. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, those those other two movies are garbage. Yeah, they're and, not um, good. 
I don't think that this appears really anything other than just sort of like anonymous at this point. Yeah. But we'll see. I mean, Josh Trank, the director of Chronicle, is behind this, and Chronicle is a really was a really pleasant surprise. Yeah. So he can do it. It's just a matter of if he just pulled it off here. That same weekend, on August 7th, this film, Ricky and the Flash, comes out. This is a new film directed by Jonathan Demme. And that's enough. Yeah. Written by Diablo Cody, which is a draw for some sure, people. Sure, sure. Stars Meryl Streep. You had me a Demi. Okay. So, yeah, interesting. We'll see how wide that goes. I mean, Meryl I think Street's it's good. I mean, star. you know, it, she's got her late summer Hope Springs thing. Yeah. Jonathan Demi. That's okay. all I need. August 14th, Guy Ritchie's Man from Uncle comes out. Yeah, the trailer for that looked kind of fun. Yeah. And then there's also a new film from Jared Hess, Masterminds. This is a heist comedy starring Zach Galifianakis, Owen Wilson, Kristen Wiig, and Jason Sudeikis. I'll fully reserve judgment until I see a trailer or something. Yeah. But that's a promising cast. Absolutely. Jared Hess is a good director. Yeah, okay. All right. Whatever. So that same weekend, the movie that probably looks best so far that we've seen trailer for anyway straight out of compton which i think looks like a lot of fun based on that first trailer i haven't seen the trailer yet yeah i think it's pretty well done you know what i liked actually from a few years back is that movie notorious yeah you did like that i did like it i thought i thought that was a real pleasant surprise you know if this is uh, along those lines I'll, I'll be into it yeah i'm into it for sure i'll be there straight out of compton starring paul giamatti well who do you think of who saw that coming when yeah. you think about 90s gangster rap. <laughs> Paul Giamatti, of course. Yeah, and we can end it on that. I was going to bring up this Alejandro Aminabar thriller regression. Which nobody knows anything about. Yeah, starring whatever. Ethan Hawke. But yeah, I, I, let's end it on Straight Outta Compton. So that seems like a pretty strong summer. And that's not even counting the limited releases. Like, you know, we've obviously got a new Woody Allen movie coming out. Yes, which sounds really cool. I get, I don't, I mean, I know the cast, I know the title. Yeah. I think I have an idea like of a vague plot synopsis, but right. I don't really know much about it, but that's how he does things. Yeah, whatever, we'll be there. We, um, we don't care. You know, you have all the Sundance sensations getting releases, platforming throughout the summer, so. Yeah, uh, so quickly, out of that entire list, top three, which top three are you looking forward to the most? The Avengers. Okay. Mad Max. Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation. Okay. I think I'd probably go with that, too. Although, I think I'd probably replace Mad Max with Inside Out. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, yeah. it is tough. No, I'm going to stick with mine. Okay, good one. Inside so, Out's a close number four, but I'm going to stick with that. Actually, three. I'm going to go with Entourage, number one, Jesus. just flat. Not Jesus. even mention anything else. Oh, my God. <laughs> Get out of here with that. Want to see what Drama and Turtle are up to, bro? Come on. You're welcome to see it. So, okay, that does it for the summer. We'll tell you what we think once it's all said and done. We appreciate everybody listening. In the meantime, before we say goodbye, let's hear from some of the film nerds. Hey, guys, it's Matt Scalisi from FilmNerds.com. I'm just going to come right out and say it. I'm in love with the 2015 summer movie calendar, and I don't care who knows it. Yes, it's premature. Yes, I'm judging by very superficial means. All that said, a big part of the summer movie season is about anticipation and excitement and the fact that there's always another huge event right around the corner. In that respect, I can't recall a summer I've been more excited about since my childhood. And while there are several original, unadapted projects high on my list for this summer, including Brad Bird's Tomorrowland and the latest Pixar release, Inside Out, for the most part, my excitement about summer 2015 is centered around the S-word. That's right sequels. 
Now, as I'm sure you're aware, my esteemed colleagues here at Aspect Radio have a general distaste for the idea of sequels, and their skepticism is warranted for the most part. For most of the 21st century, sequels have been half-assed attempts to capitalize off the success of a successful original film, manned by a weaker cast and weaker filmmaking talent than their predecessor usually. It's been a place for journeymen to cut their teeth. The 2015 slate shows that this just isn't the case in today's Hollywood. Avengers Age of Ultron promises to be an even bigger, more fun spectacle than the first Avengers film. Mad Max Fury Road, which comes three decades after the last film in the Mad Max franchise, is being helmed by franchise creator George Miller, and the trailer showcases some spectacular and inventive-looking visuals. Even Jurassic Park, a franchise that has certainly been taken advantage of in years past, looks to be getting some renewed energy and creative enthusiasm from promising young director Colin Trevorrow. I don't think sequels are a cause for automatic cringing anymore. Hollywood needs to continue making great films to satisfy their customers, and they also need the financial security of established franchises. And that's led us to where we are today, a world where great creative talent is getting behind the camera for movies with a number at the end of the title, or a colon in the middle, whatever. For FilmNerds.com, I'm Matt Scalisi. For Film Nerds and Aspect Radio, this is Graham Flanagan in New York. For my parting shot, I want to talk about Porco Rosso, the 1992 Japanese animated film by Hayao Miyazaki, which just got a Blu-ray release. These days, I don't purchase a lot of Blu-rays anymore because of Netflix and HBO Go, etc., but I make exceptions, and this was definitely one of them. I'd seen the movie on YouTube about a year ago. It's since been taken down. And after I'd seen it that one time, I knew that this would be an automatic purchase for me. I've had the Blu-ray for about three weeks now, and I've been watching it nonstop, just from beginning to end, going to favorite scenes. It's just a beautiful work of art. Porco Rosso translates into Crimson Pig, so Roll Tide. It's about an Italian fighter pilot who is cursed during the war. I'm not going to spoil why, but he's cursed to live as a pig. He's got like a pig face for the rest of his life. And so he kind of has this awesome existence living in this post-war world in the Adriatic Sea where he fights with all these great seaplane pirates and collects bounties. He's a bounty hunter. Uh, There's romance as well. Uh, And it's the story of him sort of dueling with this up-and-coming fighter ace jackass from America to become sort of the number one fighter in the skies. For fans of of animation, it's a a must-see. Uh, it's amazing that in 1992, this is what was going on uh, in Japan. You know, while we were kind of at the, the, the renaissance of, of Disney animation, this was happening at the same time, and it's just the, the animation is on par with anything that you would have seen uh, back in those days from Disney, if not superior. Uh, but the storytelling is much more mature and sophisticated, although still appealing to kids for sure because of all the action and comedy. So check this one out. If you're a fan of Miyazaki, I still have yet to see Princess Mononoke, I uh, can't wait to get around to that, but um, I'm a huge fan of, of The Wind Rises and Spirited Away. So this one is easily my favorite of all the, the Miyazaki movies that I've seen, and I highly recommend checking out the beautiful Blu-ray. Thanks to the Film Nerds. We really appreciate it. Go visit FilmNerds.com, where I actually posted a new entry into the Great Scenes series. What did you post about? It just randomly struck me the other day that this was a great scene in a fairly decent film from 2013, Out of the Furnace. 
there is a scene shared by Christian Bale and Zoe Saldana where they talk to each other after several years his character's been in yeah. prison and they share a moment on a bridge. Yeah, yeah. I revisited that recently and was reminded of the power of that very small scene in this very quiet and not frequently talked about movie. I don't know why it compelled me to write something, but it did. So you know, I don't, I don't think that movie totally works, but it's got a lot of good elements. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Totally with you there. So go visit filmnerds.com. Read Corey's stuff on artsbham.com. Read mine at al.com. Find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter at Aspect Radio. Go to aspectradioshow.com. And until next time, I am Ben Flanagan. And I'm Corey Kraft. This is Aspect Radio. Thanks for listening. I'm a ninja, yo, my life is like a video game, my main thing when I'm in the zone, one player, one life in the market with a dog, go ninja, go, no f***ing down, I'm cutting down anyone on my box, trying to f*** up my game with razor sharp, political throw stars, getting my flow on horse.